Well, our thoughts this morning broadly turn to Romans 1, where it says in verses 16 to 17, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now that was the, the very heart cry of the, the Reformation and the gospel being rediscovered at a time when it had become crowded out by so many man-made ideas and unbiblical ideas and teaching. And uh, the Reformation is formally dated from October the 31st, 1517. Of course, that anniversary was in this past week. And uh, that date is significant because it was the day when Martin Luther nailed on a chapel door in Wittenberg these 95 theses that he had written to challenge the errors of the Roman church. And uh, no one quite understood the great impact that a monk and a mallet would have. And within weeks, these theses were translated into most European languages. They spread throughout Europe in a few months, and the Lord had been preparing Europe for a great movement of God. And so this was really the catalyst, and the, the ordinary people got hold of these truths, and they were passed from hand to hand, and gospel light began to break through the darkness, and reformation would sweep through. And, you know, as we gather together this morning, those in fellowship here, we are sons and daughters of the Reformation in terms of our heritage. But the question that I want to ask us, I ask myself, and I ask you this morning, my dear friends, is this, whether we are sons and daughters of the Reformation in the sense of our belief and our passion for the true gospel and the way that it impacts our daily lives. You know, we can look back and rejoice in the amazing things that God did at that time and the return to the Scriptures, but what we must not do is just admire them from afar. We need to ask ourselves, are we consumed with this same glorious truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know, and it's vital for us regularly to examine what the Lord is doing with us and, you know, with our lives and with our families, with our fellowship in the present, and it calls us to examine our hearts as to what we are doing with the great truths of the gospel. You know, some would say, well, you know, it happened such a long time ago, why remember? Well, let me just say this, throughout the scriptures, there is a great emphasis on remembering the works and interventions of God. You see that throughout the Old Testament in God's dealings with Israel, and then in the New Testament, the emphasis comes to remember Christ, to remember his cross, to continue to look to the ways and the works of God. And so in the Bible, remembering history matters. Now, we mustn't confuse biblical history and church history, but the principle of remembering the wonderful works of God through the ages retains its importance. You know, we're not the, the first believers to try and make sense of the Word of God and to seek to live for God's glory in the midst of a very troubled and hostile world. You know, we know that there are many who have gone before. We have guides from the past. And when we remember the lessons, we're strengthened in the Lord. When we forget them, that's when we get into trouble. And also, when we look back and we see how God has worked in the past, 
It humbles us. You know, when you consider what Luther, under God's hand, and many other reformers were given to accomplish across Europe, their, their writings, their preaching, their, their hymns, their reformer churches, we, we stand in amazement. And we should be humbled when we see the devotion to Christ, the love for the Lord, the, the commitment, the willingness to, to serve at cost, even to death. Because they loved the Lord Jesus Christ. They desired to see his honor, his name proclaimed and exalted to see God glorified. And yes, they were sinners. Yes, they were flawed. Yes, they sometimes made terrible mistakes. But they wanted to see the gospel advance. And friends, we need a generation like that now. We need those who have that boldness and that passion for the truth of God. And really one of the greatest outworkings of the Reformation was quite simply the restoration of the Holy Scriptures, the Bible, as the sole inerrant authoritative guide for belief and practice both of the church and of individual believers. And as a church here, our Reformation heritage is one of the, the centrality of the Scripture the centrality of the Bible, and we can so easily take it for granted. You know, Luther said, let the man who would hear God speak read Holy Scripture. The Holy Spirit himself is the author of this book. And you know, the heart of every faithful church, every faithful ministry must be an unswerving devotion to the Word of God. And what we saw and what we see at that time when we look back is that this return to the Bible sees a return to true biblical preaching, to take the Word of God, to explain the Word of God, to apply the Word of God consecutively. The Word again gained that primacy in worship. And this in turn promoted a, a hunger for the truth amongst the ordinary people. And the, the teaching of, of sound doctrine, and so you had all these different catechisms and doctrinal standards which were rich in Scripture, but produced to, to summarize the truth for the people. And so there are many such standards. There's the, the Helvetic Confessions from Switzerland and the, the Heidelberg Catechism, Westminster Confession, you know, the one on which our own church stands, the, the 1689 Baptist Confession. You know, these things are set in place to, to explain and apply the Word of God and set the standards. You know, Luther wrote in his 62nd thesis, the true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel of the glory and grace of God. And Luther was battling in a time when that treasure had been disregarded for the dross that man creates. And so layer upon layer of extra man-made teaching and experience and practice had obscured the truth. And all of that needed to be blown away so that the treasure could shine brightly once again. And it's wonderful when you see how this glorious salvation gripped the minds and the hearts of the people. You know, people are able to get hold of the Scriptures in their own language to read it and search it and to, to hear it preached. And they were able to, by the grace of God, discover the doctrines of grace alone and faith alone and Scripture alone and Christ alone to the glory of God alone. And thousands embraced these truths by the power of the Holy Spirit and they lived them. 
They shed their blood for them. And it had great consequences in the churches. The return to Scripture resulted in the reform and restructure of the church. You know, there were 15 offices invented by Roman Catholicism. And they were rejected and the church returned to the biblical pattern as set in the New Testament and church discipline. You know, the word of God was applied to the people so that there was a renewal of godly living. Not in a, a legalistic sense, but the people's lives were changed and because they loved the Lord, because they were filled with gratitude to their Savior, rather than trying to earn merit to save themselves, they lived for his glory. It flowed out of their justification rather than trying to achieve it. And, you know, the, the impact went through society, even into education. You know, schools were established to teach children how to read and write by studying the Scriptures. And so little ones were taught to read the Bible and to, to understand the Gospel. Luther said, a plowboy armed with a Bible in one hand and a catechism in another would be able to defend the truth of God against prelates, bishops, even the Pope himself. The word of God permeated their lives. And all of this brought back the glory of God into the midst of the church so that God alone was to be worshipped. Man was abased and God was exalted. And the message of God's grace was once again declared in great power, especially this great truth of justification by faith alone. You know, the just shall live by faith. It is a, a great summary of the gospel. It was around 1513 when a 30-year-old Martin Luther was so impacted by this text, the just shall live by faith. You know, his heart was, was open to the gospel and the whole world of works religion was finally shattered for him. And he was saved and the Reformation would follow in the purposes of God. But you know, this is the, the summary of the gospel. The just shall live by faith. Now, if you look at the text that we read in Romans 1, Paul makes it clear that this was the message that he was so anxious to bring to the believers in Rome. This was the message that he wanted to proclaim, you know, to the Jew and Gentile. You know, he wanted to go to Rome for so long, and yet there'd always been those obstacles in his way. And so, as you see in the opening part, he is so keen to make the believers there understand that it wasn't that he didn't want to be with them, but that these obstacles have been there and been put in the way. And so in this incredible letter, the stunning truths of free and sovereign grace are carefully and passionately and persuasively and experientially explained. And Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, he brings these things to bear upon the people. Now, one preacher helpfully says that they follow this order. Misery, deliverance, gratitude. And so in chapters 1 to 3, you have man's misery due to sin. And then in, verse, in chapters 4 to 8, you have gospel deliverance, and then you have a grateful outworking in the rest of the letter. And so this letter became a central proclamation in the Reformation as it was read and proclaimed because it gets to the heart of what it means to be a real Christian. You know, and after this wonderful introduction, Paul says, look, I'm not avoiding Rome because I'm afraid of its culture. He says, oh no, I am not ashamed 
of this gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm not ashamed to bring this gospel anywhere. I will be glad to bring the gospel to you. I glory in that gospel. I boast of that gospel. I am ready to preach the gospel everywhere because it is the best news that the world has ever heard. And this glorious news of Jesus Christ and the power of God unto salvation. He says, this is the message you need. This is the message you need because you need the righteousness that it presents. The very righteousness of God. It's interesting, when Luther first came to these verses, at first when he saw that Paul was speaking about the righteousness of God and the justice of God, it terrified him. And it terrified him because he feared God as a tyrant rather than a God of love and mercy and grace. And he couldn't grasp how, how Paul could say that God's righteousness was his boast and his glory and his joy and that he could live out of the righteousness of God. In verse 17, your Paul writes, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And Luther was like, well, how can I do that when I'm doing all that I can to avoid that perfection condemning me? You know, he'd done all that he could to try and live up to that perfect standard to, to earn his own righteousness. You know, he, he'd slept on mattresses made out of concrete for many nights to try and inflict some sort of pain to, to gain spirituality. He denied himself basic privileges of life to try and earn God's satisfaction. Do you know, he had gone to confession so many times that the priest who was there listening to him, his confessor, said, I can't listen to you anymore. Because, you know, you're picking on someone. He said, I don't want to listen to it anymore. You know, Luther had tried mysticism, all manner of things. None of them did him any good. And the Holy Spirit was showing him that he was a sinner, but he had not seen that the only answer was in the free grace of God yet. And so he thought it was about what he did. He was trying to earn his own righteousness to be accepted by a righteous God. And what happened was it became an unbearable burden. And the fear of God overwhelmed him. And you know, it says that for 10 years, can you imagine, 10 years, he was in turmoil over this. Johann Staupitz, who was a, a friend of Luther and a spiritual man, saw his distress and as he paced up and down his monastery cell, grieving over his sin, and he said to him, look, your vows will never be sufficient. Salvation is only to be found outside of yourself in Jesus Christ. But even still, Luther, he couldn't grasp how a holy and righteous God, you know, who could have no compassion with sin, could ever look upon him in mercy. You know, let me ask you this morning, my dear friend, have you ever felt like that? You know, maybe you're here this morning and you think, well, you know, I, I know my own heart. How can I be right with God? How could God ever deal with me? How could God ever forgive me or, or receive me? How can I ever be good enough for God? Now, we don't need a 10-year struggle. That's good news. Luther used to share this with his congregation. He said, he said, look, I'm telling you about my struggles, not because I want you to imitate them, but because I want to deliver you from them. He says, if you take me as a pattern, you would be foolish. He says, no, you run directly. 
just as you are with all of your sin and all of your need to the blood-bought righteousness of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. You see, finally, God broke through using these, these words in our text for Luther. And the time came when the gospel was unveiled before his eyes and he finally saw that what he longed for, what he needed, was the Lord Jesus. That the Lord Jesus Christ is the whole of a sinner's righteousness. That the Lord Jesus has done everything for the sinner. That the Lord Jesus has paid the price of sin on the cross for all who have believed. That the Lord Jesus has obeyed the law. And he wrote that it was if his soul went through the open gates of paradise, his soul was set at liberty in Christ. And when Luther saw that the just shall live by faith and not by works, that faith that believes the gospel message that Jesus has done everything for the sinner who can do nothing, when he saw the basic truths of the gospel, his poor soul was cast upon the righteousness of Christ as his only and sufficient hope, both for time and for eternity. The veil was taken away. And for the first time, he saw with clarity the gospel grace of God in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, and what joy filled his heart. And you know, it is the most wonderful thing, even today, this same gospel message, when you see people and they've been convicted of their sin and they, they've been struggling to know, how can I be saved? How can I be right with God? And then they're brought to see Christ. And they see all the loveliness of grace. They see his, his finished work upon the cross and they realize that by trusting in him alone, they're saved, both now and forever. You know, my dear friends, there are two things that you and I will never be able to do that we need to have done for us. First, we can never fulfill God's law. And yet we must fulfill the law, you know, either by ourselves or by another doing it for us because God will not allow anyone into heaven who has transgressed the law and was not forgiven. Secondly, we can never pay for the punishment for our sins. They demand an everlasting hell. And what Luther saw in those moments is that through the righteousness of the gospel, Jesus Christ had done both those things. That Jesus Christ had done all that was necessary. That Christ had obeyed the law perfectly for his people. You know, that's what the, the reformers would later call his active obedience. And that Christ had paid for all the sin of his people on the cross. That's what the reformers would later call his passive obedience. And so through these two things, Jesus satisfied the justice of God. And so the wonder is by simply, graciously believing in Jesus, a poor sinner can find all his righteousness in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Do you know, it's a staggering message. It's a wonderful thing. And Luther was brought to look on the cross to see how Jesus took the place where he should have been, that in Christ he was freed from death's grip, that he no longer faced the condemnation of God. You know, that he, that he was set free, declared righteous in Christ, that the law could no longer condemn him, that the power of sin was broken in his life. And he saw that all of this 
must be received by faith, by the Spirit-worked, gracious faith. He saw the righteousness received by faith will be fully acceptable for the whole life of the believer, not just to make him right with God, but to keep him right with God forever. Do you know, in this gospel age, as Christ is preached, these wonderful things have to be graciously shown to the sinner. You know, the Bible says that by nature, our eyes are blinded. You know, we don't have faith to believe the gospel. We cannot see that everything is already accomplished. And so the problem is, people keep trying to earn their, their standing with God, earn their righteousness, find their own way into heaven through all sorts of useless ways. But Luther was brought to turn away from all of that and to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. And he could say, I have nothing, but Jesus is everything. Jesus is my righteousness. He is my salvation. He is my hope. And you know, that was the return to the gospel. You know, you don't need all of this extra stuff that all these different avenues will tell you that you need. You need the Lord Jesus Christ alone to believe in him, to trust him, to take him at his word. And you know, we are all unrighteousness. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the only savior and he is the only one who can give us this righteousness we, we need. All our hope is bound up in Christ alone. That's the hallmark of the Reformation. That's what they went back to. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. That's the message. That's the message of true life. And you know, this truth, this doctrine, it cost martyrs. Hundreds were burned at the stake, but it saw a wonderful awakening and the establishing of gospel churches and, and many, many, many being saved to the glory of God. And you know, as things went on, the first period of of reformation was tumultuous but blessed and people risked so much to go with the the cause of truth but we need to learn the lesson because what happened was this over time this great advance with the gospel at the fore began to lose its edge and you say well how did that happen it's so so wonderful how how did it lose that momentum well there was a deadness and you see, amongst the people, the generation that followed the reformers, they became cold. They became complacent. Yes, they, they still knew the truth. They knew the doctrine. They were sound in their theology, but it didn't grip their hearts. And you know, by the 1600s, there was much dryness and coldness. But then God in his grace raised up another generation that would again find their minds and hearts gripped with the great gospel of our glorious God, the just shall live by faith. And that's when you have the emergence of the, the Puritans in England, the Dutch divines, the, the New England Puritans in America, greatly used of God, men consumed with the gospel of sovereign grace. And they saw how easy it was for apathy to sweep into the church and for apathy to grip the people of God. And how quickly there could become that, that deadness and dryness, that, that lack of reality. And by the grace of the Holy Spirit, they stormed the throne of grace 
for God to work mightily amongst them and amongst the people to revive and to refresh and to stir up the affections for Christ. And God raised up men like John Owen and John Bunyan and William Perkins and all these many others and a great hunger for the word of God and searching preaching and seriousness and wrestling with the law. And even though, again, there were times of great persecution, there were times of great blessing, and all the way through the message, the just shall live by faith. And you know, you see it going on, ebbs and flows, spiritual awakening and then decline, but the truth remains. And you say, well, what does that mean for us? Here we are in the age that we are in. What do we need? Well, we need a return to these great truths. We need to have that clarity about what the gospel is, but it needs to grip our minds and our hearts. Something must be known and felt. You know, we, we must be thankful, of course, for any signs of increased spiritual concern and for any appetite to, to be in the Word and under the Word and to, to know the truth and to put into practice these things. Our, our hearts are encouraged by that. But friends, we are at a low ebb. And that is true across the land. And your know, many are, are turning to other things and, and ultimately it can become a temptation to, to try and establish our own righteousness. To show that we are good enough for God and, and so many don't know anything of the liberty of the gospel. You know, so many are, are strangers to faith and we, we go on with indifference and we, we don't see the urgency that this Gospel truth be bound upon our hearts and, and lived out in our lives. You know, there, there are people who, who can come under the sound of the word for a time on a Sunday and then they, they go and live their lives as they want for the rest of the week. We need reformation truth to sweep through our church and, and our lives and our families and our own hearts. We need to live and to be prepared to die by this truth. You know, surely some of the scenes that we have seen recently show that the forces of the enemy are, are growing in their strength. We're surrounded, as it were. Are we bold? Are we standing upon the truth? To live and die by this truth, the just shall live by faith. Luther said, faith is my life. Without faith, I cannot live. Without faith, I would die. It's to be consumed with the Lord Jesus. You know, I ask myself, and I ask you, you know, do I love him? Do I really love him? To love him and live by faith in him alone. You know, are there times when we grieve over how little faith we have? Do we yearn to, to have more faith in the gospel, to, to know him better? And friends, we, we don't need dead orthodoxy, which is a danger to us. It stifles and it, it brings a soul under weight and bondage. And we also don't need the, the shallow, easy believism either. What we need is the true, heartfelt experience of true belief, to believe in God and in His Son, Jesus Christ, wrought by the Holy Spirit and received by faith. And this believing, it is impossible with man, but it is possible, yes, sure, with God. By the power of God's miraculous grace, we may, we must experience and live this great truth. The just shall live by faith. You know, as I, I come to a close, 
To live this out cost Martin Luther his whole life. Do you know, in 1521, he was excommunicated from the established church, as it were. He was called to account at the Diet of Worms and threatened. He was intimidated. He was called to recant. And many of you will know the, the, the reply that he gave. He says, unless I am convicted by Scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God, and I cannot and will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. And Luther was thrown out. He was banned. Now, some of you may not be aware, that doesn't just mean that, you know, he couldn't go along from time to time. To be banned meant to be given over to capture and death. It was effectively saying that those outside could kill Luther without recrimination. And yet God provided these earthly helpers who rescued him, and for one year in hiding at the castle of Wartburg, he translated the scriptures into German. And so many other instances could be given from his life which showed how God kept him. And Luther knew that God had a purpose for all of these things. And all his life, Luther had to, to live out this truth. The just shall live by faith. It's all about Christ. And he would write, he would say, you know, there were times in his life he couldn't understand what God was doing. He could understand the ways of God. There were times when his faith waned and, and slipped into despondent periods, even unbelief. He faced many opponents. He faced great sickness. And yet even on his sickbed, he, he continued to write and direct the cause of the Reformation, all the while clinging on to the reality that just shall live by faith. There were times when he found himself in real depression times of unbelief and doubts and fears and still it was this that kept his soul alive the just shall live by faith it's all about Christ his grip on me not my grip on him and when challenged by popes and emperors to turn away from these things again and again he said I see that the devil is continually attacking this right truth of justification by faith alone and in this respect he will not stop he will not slow down any of his attacks well then i dr martin luther unworthy herald of the gospel of the lord jesus confess this article that justification by faith alone without works justifies in the sight of god and he says i declare that in spite of all emperors the pope cardinals Bishops, priests, monks, nuns, kings, princes, nobles, all the world and all the devils of this world, this truth shall stand forever. Christ alone takes away sin. We cannot do so by all of our works, nor any of our works, but good works follow redemption as surely as fruit appears on the living tree. This is our doctrine and we will hold it fast in the name of God until we die. The just shall live by faith. It is all the gift of God, my dear friends. It is all the work of God. The just shall live by faith in God, by faith in his righteousness. And let me say this. 
take away the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we may as well close the doors, go home, never come back again. Because there's no message. There's no purpose on going on without the righteousness of Christ. There's nothing to live for. Nothing to live out of. We have to be stripped of all of our own righteousness and brought to him. To rest in him. And that's the cry of the Reformation. It's the message of the Bible. It's our message today. Jesus alone. And we must lose hold of everything else in order to grasp a full salvation in Christ. And again, let me stress to you, you know, if we want to be accepted with God, our sin must be dealt with and a righteousness has to be given to us from outside of ourselves, the righteousness of Christ. And it comes only by faith. And so I ask you this morning, have you embraced with both mind and heart this truth? Have you run to the Savior? Are you looking to him alone? You know, don't sit there and think, well, you know, I'm just going to sit and see if, if God might do something at some time. You know, we mustn't think that we come to church and, you know, we'll do what we can and we'll try our best and we'll hope for the best. You know, that will lead you to everlasting damnation. The Bible says you must be born again. The Bible says you must lose all your righteousness and find your righteousness in Christ. And here it is this morning. It is presented before you. You are called to come to God just as you are, as a poor, wretched, miserable sinner in all of your sinfulness, but to receive salvation in the Lord Jesus. To believe in Christ and be saved. You know, if you've never come to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are still outside of that, you know, I warn you with love for your soul's eternal welfare. If you are looking anywhere else but to Jesus, you know, you are in great danger. God is too holy and you are too sinful. You'll never get yourself right with him without Christ. And so why would you delay? Why would you keep spurning this reality? You know, we love your souls. We long to see your soul saved by the righteousness of Christ. There is no other name that I can direct you to. There is no other hope in this world. There is no other righteousness that we can point you to. To make it clear to you, it must be Jesus. Without him, we have nothing seeking. You know, don't be content being unconverted. You know, ask God to, to go against you in order to save you, to go against your natural heart, to wean you away from all of your self-sufficiency and to bring you to Christ. You know, here you are in a church with all of its shortcomings and its troubles, which loves the Savior and preaches the gospel in the heritage of what we have seen this morning. And what a tragedy if you go out this morning and these precious things are not yours and you do not know them. Here is your opportunity. Turn away from all your own efforts and trust in Jesus Christ. Seek the Lord while he is yet to be found. Call upon him while he is yet near. And as you do, he will save you and he will keep you. It's all of grace. The just shall live by faith. That's the message. And may we never lose sight of it. Amen.